What's holding you up? Let's get on with the show. We can't hang around here all day. Now, Buff, be patient. Takes a little doing to set these things up. Let us have faith that right makes fight. And in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. There was We hope that this voyage you're about to take, 20,000 leagues under the sea, will stimulate your interest in the phenomenon of life in the ocean depths. My, my. Yes, folks, we only have high-class stuff on this show. And now, here's a special treat out of Tampa. A little bit of ever-loving, cuddlesome fluff. Our own WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 232 for the week of July 24th, 2011. One of the things I enjoy doing on the show is recognizing and paying tribute to those people who have helped create the magic of the Walt Disney World parks that we enjoy today and have in the past. From Disney legends to Imagineers, I feel fortunate to be able to share their stories in their own words. And this week, being able to hear from a person who has helped create some of that Disney magic is a real treat. From singing bears to an American president, His presence in the parks has been constant since Walt Disney World opened. And this week, I'm pleased to welcome Pete Renaday to the show. As Henry from the Country Bear Jamboree to President Lincoln and Captain Nemo, his career at the Disney Company started decades ago, and he shares his stories of meeting Walt Disney, working on animated films, and his work in the theme parks. So just refrain from hibernating and we'll all enjoy the show, because he's got a lot to give. I'll then have a few announcements before playing some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Be sure and visit the website at wdwradio.com for all of our back episodes, show notes, blog, discussion forums, videos, and lots more, including the WDW Radio store, where you can purchase my Walt Disney World trivia books and audio guides to Walt Disney World. Be sure and subscribe to the show in iTunes, and while you're there, download the free WDW Radio app and the all-new Walt Disney World trivia app with more than 750 multiple-choice questions, descriptive answers, and hundreds of did-you-know facts and figures. Also, be sure and join us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for the WDW Newscast, live video broadcast and interactive chat, and you can also get together with other Disney fans at our Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and other Disney events throughout the year. You can find out more over at DisneyMeets.com, 
And for more information, updates, and to follow along with everything that's going on, you can follow me over on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello. And join the WDW Radio page at facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Welcome to the one and only original country fair jamboree presented by Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay featuring a bit of American Walt Disney World is a true multi-sensory experience, one in which we enjoy Disney storytelling through rich, immersive, three-dimensional environments in which we play an active role. And that storytelling and attractions is told not just by what we see, but certainly by what we hear. And as many of the rides and attractions use audio-animatronic figures or narration, the voice actors that are used are of paramount importance to tell those stories. And one of the most prolific and recognized voices in both Walt Disney World and Disneyland is my next guest. He has played everything from a bear to a captain to an American president, and he is, of course, Mr. Pete Renaday. Mr. Renaday, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you very much, Lou. It's a pleasure. I will tell you that I almost wanted to call you Henry or Mr. President, but uh, we will certainly get to some of those roles in a little bit. But I wanted to first ask you, you know, growing up, I think every kid thinks that they can do voices, whether it's their own funny voice or ones that they imitate from TV or movies. What about you? I mean, how did you sort of get started doing your voiceover work? Did it, did it start from being a kid? Well, no, not really, uh, although I did try to do Mickey's voice when I was a kid, but I, I guess every kid tries to do that. Uh, I didn't really get started in voiceovers until quite a bit later. My whole focus was on acting, and and uh, when I came out to California, movies and TV on camera, and it was through Disney's that I got into the voiceover things, and that got to be more and more work for me there, and I finally realized that hey, not only am I getting more work, I much prefer it to being on camera. So, you know, I just gravitated to that eventually. And are you, were you in Southern California or? I was in Southern California the whole time, yeah. After I finished with college and finished with the Army two years, then I came out here. And uh, within days, I happened to get a job at Disney's just as a messenger. I just needed a job. And I uh, got a job at Disney's as a messenger and stayed there for the next 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all hear about that, that fairy tale of working in the mailroom and working your way up. How do you go from being a messenger at the studios to voiceover work? Well, I think with, in my case, it uh, was possible because in those days we had what was called the Disney Players. It was an amateur theatrical group that used to do just one play a year. But the benefits went to Walt's favorite charity, the John Tracy Clinic. And I started being cast in shows there, uh, Light Up the Sky, uh, Glass Menagerie we even did one time, which was unusual because they were all light comedies as a rule. But then Walt wanted us to stage The Happiest Millionaire, which they had bought the rights to the play from New York, and he had never seen it. So he wanted to see what it looked like on stage, and... The director at that time, John Russ, said, oh, Walt, we'd love to do it for you, but 
we don't have anybody to play the, the father's part, the male lead. And Walt said, uh, oh, I'll, I'll get Brian Keith. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> he got Brian Keith to come over and do the thing for nothing. And I played the uh, what wound up being John Davidson's role in the movie later on. So they got used to seeing me on stage, and then they'd call me down to do a few lines or read temp tracks, a lot of temp tracks for a while, temporary, and from there I gravitated to actually getting paid for them. And so you, you mentioned Walt Disney's name. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you ever had a chance to meet him, and if so, what was that first encounter like? Well, it's strange because the day I was hired, I was reporting into the traffic, what they called then traffic, the messenger's uh, location right in the middle of the animation building on the first floor. Uh, they're, they're not there now, needless to say. But I thought to myself, you know, one of these days, I may actually walk, I may see Walt Disney himself. And I opened the animation door, and there he was coming toward me. My first, <laughs> the first person I saw <laughs> was Walt Disney. And that, of course, it was probably two months before I saw him again. But, uh, but we, yeah, he got to, he'd come to see the shows and come backstage after and shake hands with everybody and pay a few compliments. So that's, that was my only real contact with Walt. At the time, certainly, you know, when you pass him in the hall is one thing, but when he comes back to congratulation, congratulate you on a performance, there has to be somewhat, I assume, overwhelming. At the, I mean, certainly our view of Walt now may have been different than when he was still there before he had done so many other things, but it still oh, must yeah. have been, you know, a moment, one of those memorable moments for you. Oh, it was a thrill. It was a thrill. In fact, I remember the first show I did there, which was Light Up the Sky, I had been doing, you know, shows in community theater and college and never was really prone to be nervous at all. And that night when we opened up and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Walt Disney is sitting out there right now. <laughs> I felt my first bit of stage fright that lasted nah, two minutes, <laughs> but uh, it, it did make an impression on me. Walt Disney is sitting out there right now. But... Uh, he was yeah. always very nice to us, very complimentary. And so you, uh, you're performing on, on in stage performances for Walt Disney, no pressure. Yeah. Um, how do you move over to start doing some of the other voiceover work, and what is really your first role doing the voiceovers? Well, let's see. Gosh, my first one, uh, I remember I was called to do the, uh, the Milkman for Aristocats, mm -hmm. And I also worked for Ward Kimball and Dad, Can I Borrow the Car? I think that's the first time I ever got screen credit for any of my voiceover stuff. I had worked as an actor on camera back in 1964. Before I worked for Disney's, uh, I was still working at Disney's, but I took the week off to do an episode of Combat, which was the first thing I ever did as a professional actor. The casting director, Marvin Page, had seen me on stage at the Melrose, and... Uh, called me over, and uh, I was cast in that one episode of Combat. Robert Lozier was a guest star. And uh, that was the first thing I did. Then from there, the next thing I did was my little part in Robinson Crusoe USN at Disney's. And that was due to, uh, at least I was told, uh, Ron Miller had seen me in the plays and said, oh, let Pete do this part. He can do this. So <laughs> that was nice. Right place, right time always seems yeah, to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talent and luck definitely have to come together for these things. Oh, to, luck, uh, 
luck is a big factor. <laughs> well, you so tell me the, uh, the the how the sort of the fortuitous thing happens that you start doing something which no one had really done before. You know, Walt Disney opens a, a themed park. You know, he's gone beyond live action and animation, has brought these stories to life. How do you start working to do voiceover work now for either narrations or these audio animatronic figures? Yes, well, the first and the biggest, of course, was uh, Henry for the Contra Bear Jamboree. And I have a feeling, since Henry was the first bear they they used as a prototype to work out all the action and the hand movements and the mouth movements, the eye movements, coordinating, they used me to do the temp track again, temp track. And I think they just got so used to hearing my voice, they couldn't hear anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> it took them two years or something to program Henry, and by that time, oh, we can't hear any other voice but Pete's now, so let's just use it. And uh, that's how I got Henry's. And then they called me over later on to do Abraham Lincoln's, which, quite honestly, I tried to come as close to Royal Dano's as I could, because that's all I could hear. Right. All I could hear was Royal Dano in my head. But uh, Yeah, you have real no other frame of reference for uh, you know President Lincoln other than what you've heard in the past. Yeah, well, we had Raymond Massey from the movie and Henry Fonda as young Abe Lincoln, but they're Raymond Massey and Henry Fonda. They're not they're not doing any voice really. But Royal to me, Royal was it's a shame. I always thought it was really a shame that he never got to do Lincoln on camera because he looked like him. And uh, the only time he did was on a funny. Lucy show, I Love Lucy, where she was having a dream, <laughs> and he shows up as Abe Lincoln. But I thought, what a shame. Somebody should have used him somewhere along the way as Lincoln. But you actually, you continued your role a few times over on stage and on TV as, as President Lincoln, didn't you? Uh, on TV yeah, and on stage, both. I did The Rivalry, and I did uh, a show that was a tribute to Lincoln on Lincoln's birthday one year. <coughs> but, uh, yeah... Bob uh, Schiffer, who was a makeup man at Disney, helped me with that because I don't really look that much like Lincoln. <laughs> and with the, you know, you get the mole on the cheek, you get the, the beard with no mustache, and you darken the hair, and I got away with it. Uh, but I really enjoyed doing the rivalry. And Norman Corwin, who had written the play, came backstage. I had no idea he was there and said, uh, I enjoyed your performance every bit as much as Richard Boone's. <laughs> Richard Boone had played it on Broadway. <laughs> and let's just uh, let's just jump back to Henry uh, real quick because certainly it's one of the roles that is still going on now. One of the ones you're you're most recognized for. Uh, we all know that uh, that the country bear concept was originally intended for. Walt's Mineral King Ski Resort that never right. was built. Did you start working on it for that project or for Walt Disney World? The Bear Band Bears are ready. They're set to serenade. Zeke and Zeb and Ted and Fred and the bear name Lemonade. So clap your hands and stop your feet to the bear toe tapping rhythm. Well, I was for Disneyland first. They, were, they had the, the opening at Disneyland in the Country Bear area, you know. And, of course, they always had two shows running simultaneously, back-to-back at Walt Disney, at Disneyland. And as far as I know, it's still there. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it still running at Walt Disney? It still runs pretty much exactly the way you recorded it so many years ago. (laughs) Wow. And we did the three shows. The first one was the original Country Bear show. Then they did a Christmas show. 
Then they did a vacation show. Well, they didn't call it a Christmas show. It was a holiday show, I guess. Then the vacation, hoedown or whatever it was. Right. And uh, that was kind of in a different vein. It got a little more. There were things, particularly in the holiday show, where you sing pop songs or, or secular songs for Christmas. Uh, but yeah, I got to do a little bit more singing in the other, in the other. Although as I listened to the track for the original, I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, we did record that song, didn't we? And I was working with the Weavers, who were an authentic country western group. Sure. Uh, but after that, it got to be, you know, Thurl, of course, was there, and Thurl Ravenscroft, and Frank Welker was doing the, the raccoon on my hat. <laughs> it was great. We had a good time. And so tell me about sort of the, the process of putting this together. You know, how long does it take to record? Do you do it in a, a studio over in Burbank? or We started on the orchestra stage at the studio, along with the Weavers were there, and uh, we did a lot of things together. And as we did the other shows, the other two shows were done at WED, or WDI, as it's called now, and it was just thorough and... Frank Welker and and me, uh, the other stuff. It was it was all recorded kind of separately. Okay, okay, boys, take it easy, take it easy. Now we're ready to start. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I'll be right with you. <clears throat> so we didn't have the fun of all being together like like a radio show. Mm. It was all done individually because the studio is much smaller at WDI. Although now they've got a pretty good sized one, but. Uh, yeah, it was just fun being there with Thurl, with the guy that one in a million voice of Thurl Ravenscroft. It's just fantastic. But uh, and how yeah, long? That, uh, do, you, do you remember how long it took you to you know lay down that that whole track? The first uh, the first show took about maybe three recording sessions of three or four hours each. Uh, maybe three hours. They, they weren't long. We did it pretty quickly. Very few additional takes as i remember albertino was in charge well al was big al that's who <laughs> his name and that's who he looked like too <laughs> but uh yeah the others were kind of the musical director was george wilkinson it was a different kind of situation then sure and uh and, and tex ritter actually did the singing for big al correct tex ritter had already recorded that they had to get permission to use that Blood on the saddle, because that was already recorded. And uh, Tex, I think, may have been dead by that time. I'm not sure, but maybe I shouldn't say that. But, uh, yeah, they had to get permission to use the recording. And that was the only one that was pre-recorded by sure. somebody. And was it, um, was it a different experience for you knowing how your voice was going to be used? It wasn't going to be used for animation. It was going to be used for sort of these 3D characters, a show that was going to be going on all day, every day, for literally decades to come, did you kind of get a sense of what you were doing and what you were creating back then? No, not really, not at all. I had no idea that it would be running for as long as it has run. You know, I figured, oh, it'll be there a couple of years, and then they'll put something else in. And But it's still running. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, the other things that I did there, like, well, we just redid the Captain on the Columbia ride, and... That's changed over the years, but it's still running. Now, for a long time, the Columbia wasn't moving at all. Mm-hmm. And now they've got it going again. And that was fun, doing that captain's voice. Did you? And um, then for a, I'm sorry, did you also, inside the Country Bear, did you also do Max for a while? 
Yes, Dear. I did Max for the first year, or first, uh, for, first show, the whole original Country Bear show. Then for the second show, there was somebody who worked at WDI who, you know, wanted to do voiceovers, and right. so he did Max for the other two shows. And do you, do you sort of use any sort of inspiration for these characters, or is it just sort of all you and what you imagine they would sound like? Well, Henry was just pretty much what I imagined. Max, they specifically wanted him to sound a little like Gomer Pyle. <laughs> so that was easy, you know. That gives me a handle. You want Gomer right. Pyle, you got it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they usually pretty much let you go, you know, in terms of you come up with something and we'll see if we like it. Uh, now, the, one of my favorite uh, of your performances, which is unfortunately not there anymore, was as Captain Nemo in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes, I enjoyed doing that one a lot. And uh, my old pal Tom Sherman, who was the authority on the Nautilus, and he got such a kick out of that. He was the one who finally designed that Nautilus walkthrough in Paris. Mm -hmm. And he died shortly after that, but I thought... He got to fulfill his life's dream. He built the Nautilus. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he always got a kick out of that. He'd have me call people on the phone. And when Tony Baxter, the earthquake hit over in his area, and he had a model of the Nautilus that Tom had given him. And it fell and was damaged. And, oh, he was so upset about it. And he had me call him and say, my lord, it's cracked like an eggshell. <laughs> and Tony said, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. <laughs> so were you, was it Pete Renaday inspired by James Mason or was this your own Captain Nemo? Oh, I was definitely inspired by James Mason. I couldn't do a flat-out imitation. I, just, I mean, I, if I could have, I probably would have. But I, I wanted to do it without... Without actually, you know, if you're going to do a flat-out imitation, then get James Mason. He's still around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I came, just the flavor of it, I felt, you know. How old is the Earth? How was it formed? These and other questions about our watery planet have intrigued man since the beginning of time. As far as we know, the oceans have existed for some four and a half billion years. And for about the last 100 million years, the sea has been a living, dynamic world. And again, when I did it, I had no idea it was going to be used. It started off, I believe, as a temp track. I did a temp track for America Sings, too, but that one wasn't used. They got Burl Ives for that. I'm sure it wound up sounding a little too much like Henry. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Walt loved Burl Ives, although Walt was no longer alive, but he was still one of, one of the favorites over at the studio. Sure. I liked him, too. I always loved Burl Ives. And so you're you're playing these you're playing iconic characters like Captain Nemo. You're playing an American president. You're also asked to play Mark Twain over in, again another character with no sort of frame of reference. Was there? Yeah, the Mark Twain uh, for the riverboat. I remember I'd kind of forgotten altogether that I'd done it, and I did those callouts. You know, Mark Twain, Chief Water, which was right out of the movie, but. Uh, I was standing right by the speaker one day on the Mark Twain, and it was so low, the volume was so low, you had to be standing next to it to hear it. And I started listening, I thought, that, that voice sounds familiar. <laughs> and I realized, oh yeah, that's me, I did that 10 years ago, whatever it was. But that was, uh, you know, I gotta say, I was certainly influenced by Hal Holbrook's 
mm-hmm. Mark Twain Tonight. Sure. And I also played Mark Twain on stage one time in a production of The White House, where they had all of the presidents and Mark Twain somehow got involved. But that's a good show, too. Yeah, you're also the captain on Rocket to the Moon. You were the, the Comchat man on Adventures Through Inner Space. But I will tell you that uh, one of my sentimental favorites, and I am sure that I am not alone, was you were the narrator on the Tomorrowland Transit Authority from 1994 until, for many, unfortunately, 2009. You're sort of broadcasting from TTA Central. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Tomorrowland Transit Authority, Metroliner nonstop, now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip Super Skyway Tour. Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. Whether you're a humanoid, a robot, or an alien passenger, we hope you enjoy your trip along Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. Many of us still, uh, still miss that narration. Well, the other one that I liked and never... I guess it's not going anymore, was the uh, Walt Disney story. Mm-hmm. The opening narration of, uh, of the Walt Disney story. And then when they did a DVD of it, I thought, oh, great, then they'll use my narration. But they didn't. They used Michael Eisner's narration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure many people would have loved to hear, hear the original sort of Pete Renaday narration for the, uh, for the Walt Disney story that played uh, you know, over Walt Disney World on Main Street. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. We, we know you in the theme parks primarily because of your, your voiceover work. But is it true that you were also represented an audio-animatronic figure in Horizons? Yes, which I never got to see. Uh, it was the, well, he was the husband of the, he's kind of only shown on TV, I believe, or maybe, no, there was an audio-animatronic figure, that's right. And uh, although, as I say, I never saw the exhibit. But friends of mine were walking through there thinking they had been at Florida for a while, and they said, well, you know, we usually run into somebody we know every time we go on vacation. This time we haven't seen anybody we know. And they walked around the corner, and here's my effigy <laughs> speaking to them. <laughs> Is that something they, were, they told you they were going to do, or was that sort of a surprise to you later on? You no, know, I knew they were going to do that. Uh, but uh, the only other thing that was kind of that I was connected with was when they did the uh, Carousel of Progress. They added the last scene, and at one point they wanted the daughter to have a boyfriend. Hmm. So they just wanted a, you know, a general size head to... It wasn't going to look like me, but they said, hey, go on over there. They're going to have to measure your head. Wait till Rogers or one of them. <laughs> so I went over there, and uh, Waithel was measuring my head, and he was the one that had worked on the Lincoln figure for uh you know lincoln's show and and he measured with the calipers and he said oh that's really strange and i said what is he said you're the first person i've ever measured whose head was exactly the same as lincoln's (laughs) (laughs) well that works out pretty well uh, yeah (laughs) um you know we uh I i am very much a collector of early Walt Disney World and Disneyland items. And I know I am not alone in owning a vinyl copy of the story and song of the Haunted Mansion. It was the company's first sort of official soundtrack for the new Disneyland attraction back in 69. And Paul Fries, who's the narrator in the attraction, 
does not repeat his role. You come in as the ghost host on, on the story and song of the mansion. That's right. Have you ever seen a haunted house? You know the kind I mean. That old dark house that's usually at the end of a dimly lit street. The owners haven't been seen for years. No one really knows why. The windows are broken and boarded, and the shutters hang loose on their hinges. The trees have grown wild. Their branches brush against the sides of the weathering house, making strange noises in the night. I think that came about, and I have no way of knowing, but I always suspected that Paul wanted uh, some royalties on the record. If they're going to use his voice for the record, he wanted a little piece of it, you know, and they weren't willing to pay. <laughs> they weren't willing to pay, and so they called me over and handed me a script, said, here, read this. So there was no rehearsal, no, no nothing, and and uh, but I had I loved doing it. It was a great big kick. I just wish that I could have worked with the kids. It was uh, Ronnie Howard and Roby Lester who were doing the, uh, I think it was Roby, but Ron for sure, sure. two kids on the record. And uh, oh, it was a lot of fun, especially I love Halloween. I love scary stuff. So I got a big kick out of that. And of course, Thurl was doing his narration, but uh, he wasn't there either. It was just me and Tutti Camerata when we were recording down at Tutti's place down in, in Hollywood. And this is one of those things that it's, you know, no preparation. You just read it through, and it's that good that they take it and use it for the record. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was uh, very quickly done. Probably two hours, the whole thing, maybe. Yeah, and it seems like a, a number of the things that you say that you read through, you know, it was not sort of, I, I always sort of imagined it as a much longer process taking, you know, days, weeks, you know, a month or so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're able to go through it pretty quickly. So I... I I'm not going to ask you the unfair question of saying, you know, which is your favorite character, which is your favorite role, but is there maybe one role or character that maybe you feel most closely associated with? You know, was it, it the president or Henry or, or whoever? You mean at the park, the park voices? Yeah. For, yeah well, well, of course, of course, Henry, because that was, you know, the one I, I, first of all, I've seen it the most. I never got to see the Hall of Presidents. Never saw myself doing Lincoln, and now it's too late because it's not, it's not there anymore. Or it's there, but it's not me. Uh, so I'm sorry. I really regret never getting over there to see the Hall of Presidents. But, yeah, Henry would, of course, be my favorite as far as the park voices are concerned. Yeah, that was, that was actually be my next question. You know, what was it like going to hear yourself in the parks? Did you just not get out there, or did you not want to hear yourself until maybe it was too late? Oh, I got to hear a lot of it at Disneyland. I just don't, I never got to Walt Disney World. I got there once, the first year they opened. And I've never been there since, which is ridiculous, but I just never have made the trip. Uh, but you know, once a year, I've heard Country Bear, oh, 50, 60 times at, <laughs> at Disneyland. And it's still a kick to, you know, see the audience reacting to, to the bear and to the whole show and they seem to get a kick out of it and clap and stomp their feet and all that stuff. And, uh, of course, when I have friends or relatives from out of town, they get a big kick out of, Oh yeah, that was your voice. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do they ask you while it's going on to sort of do it in, in conjunction with the, with the, with the show? <laughs> no, no, no. They know I won't do that. 
So do people, do other people recognize you either by your face or, or by your voice? I mean, I will tell you that the first time we spoke before today, I literally closed my eyes and I said to myself, you know, I'm talking with Henry from, from the country. Like I recognized it instantly. Yeah, no, they never recognize me, which is, I think, a plus as far as voiceover actors are concerned. Uh, people have recognized me uh, now and then when I was on General Hospital for a, a recurring character and on and off for about seven years. And maybe I think three people recognize me from that. That's the only time I've been recognized at all for anything. But uh, no, they don't. they don't recognize me. You know, you talked uh, briefly about doing some of those test recordings or those demos recordings. I think a lot of people don't know that before Richard Williams, who is a legendary animator, came on board, you actually did a pencil test for the role of Eddie Valiant in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, along with Paul Rubens, who was Pee Wee Herman, who played the voice of Roger, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and they've shown it a couple of times, I guess, on the Disney Channel or somewhere along the Disney and they've, it's been on TV, that clip, or two. I did two clips, actually, one with one with uh, Jessica Rabbit and one with Roger, and on-camera stuff. And people have said, who was it that was originally cast as Eddie Valiant? <laughs> well, I was never cast as Eddie Valiant. I was just helping with the screen tests. And, of course, I read with every voiceover actor in town when they were looking for the voice of Roger Rabbit. Everybody but Charlie, who finally got the part, but that was years later. That was, right, you know, right. after the new regime. Yeah. But it was... I'm sh- I was going to say, I'm sure a lot of people also know you from some, uh, some non-Disney work as well, too. Uh, certainly in the 80s, uh, you were the voice of Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well. Right, and before Splinter, I was the voice for Mandrake the Magician in uh, 65 episodes of Defenders of the Earth. Hmm. So that was a lot of fun, too. Uh, had all the old standard superheroes, Flash Garden, the Phantom, uh, Lothar, and, of course, Ming the Merciless was the villain. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. And have you done any work for uh, Disney recently? Uh, let's see. The last thing I did, I guess, was the redo of the Captain on the Columbia. I don't think there's been anything since then. Of course, a lot of people never did know and still don't know, I guess, that that I did a voice for Mickey for the the old LPs. And that book came out a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, the all about the Disneyland records. And they <laughs> gave me a, two, three pages as the vinyl Mickey. So it's the first <laughs> time I've ever been actually acknowledged for having done Mickey's voice. Yeah, so there you go. You went from the little boy who was doing Mickey at home to actually being able to play Mickey on, on the vinyls as well. Right, yeah. I was highly complimented. One time I got to do a, I don't think it was the, I don't remember what it was for, but Ducky Nash was involved, and we were recording together that day, and when when the recording was over, he said to the the people in charge, well, this guy sounds closer to Walt than anybody I've heard. And I thought, well, he should know because he worked with Walt. Right. And that was a few years back. But, uh, yeah, he was a great guy. And so as you look back on, you know, really a, a storied career with Disney, especially in the theme parks and the animation, 
as you look back, is there anything that sort of sticks out as one of your fondest memories, either while you were doing the work or, or with the people that you met? Well, you know, as much as I enjoyed doing all the voices and, and loving doing the voices, the some of the things that stick out are the things that we did on stage, which nobody will ever see again because nothing was ever recorded in those days was before videotape and we had very little to show for it but it was with the people that worked at the studio some of whom had wanted to be professional performers uh like norm corey who was the brother of erwin corey professor erwin corey and they were so much alike but we had some great people ben hardigan who did after he retired went into uh he got a few commercials and bonnie fagley was so good Annie Bazan, there were tons of people that were really talented who had, you know, decided, eh, it's too risky. I'm going to give up on this and just settle for my regular day-to-day job, which was fine. And they were so happy at Disney's. But those people I, I enjoyed working with so much, and I just wish we had something to show for it, some sure. other than still pictures. We do have stills, but that's about it. Bob Jackman, who was the head of the music de- department, was... Uh, a very good actor, and had come out here to be an actor, but didn't work out that way. <laughs> well, as you can see, we're just one big happy family. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I, I, for one, am very happy that we are able to still enjoy a lot of your work. It, it is an honor to have spoken with you because I grew up hearing your voice, and now I've introduced my kids to those same voices that were so much a part of my childhood and my adulthood. So, uh, Pete Renaday, again, thank you very much uh, for myself and on behalf of the audience for what you've done for you know Disney fans and your work inside the park. It really is very much appreciated, and I want to thank you for your time today as well. Thank you, Lou. I really enjoyed talking to you. Friend by name Tennessee. Zinks twanging on banjo and a tapping with his feet. Well, folks, this concludes our show. So thanks for bearing with us to the bear end and barrel around to see us again. What do you say, Sammy? I say, yo, come back. You hear? We hope that you'll be coming back again. That you drop in to see us now and then. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks also to my very special guest, Pete Renaday, for joining me on this week's show. If you want to comment on this week's show, please go and visit the show notes over at wdwradio.com. Click on the podcast link for this week's show, episode number 232. Leave your comments in the comment section and keep the conversation going there. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail line toll-free at 888-703-2171. You could also email me at lou at wdwradio.com. While you're on the site, be sure and check out the WDW Radio blog. It's updated every day with lots of new content from some great contributors. We also have our first contest winner and a new contest for Our Homes Went Disney. This time, show us how you've decorated your child's bedroom in true Disney fashion for a chance to win some prizes. Again, check out the WW Radio blog for more information. Speaking of contests, don't forget our Box People logo contest. If you've ever watched any of our live video broadcasts and chats, including our Wednesday night broadcast, we do a live video broadcast every Wednesday, 7.30 at www.newscast.com. If you've ever watched, you're inside the box. We like to call you a box person, and we're now having an official Box People contest logo. 
Design the logo, submit it by Wednesday, July 27th at midnight to contest at www.radio.com for a chance to win a three-night stay at a moderate resort in Walt Disney World. Thanks to our friends over at MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. You can get more information and details by checking out the WW Radio blog or the July 6th newscast, either on the blog or in iTunes. Speaking of Mouse Fan Travel and our other partners and sponsors, big thanks go out to Becky and her team. They are, of course, my official, they're my recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. Look, if you're going to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and Adventures by Disney, if you're coming with us in November 2012 on the next WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream, please go and visit our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel. The best possible prices, all available discounts, and more importantly, the most amazing level of personal service that is their hallmark. If you're coming to Walt Disney World, maybe you want something a little bit different. Maybe a home with your own pool, a spa, complete kitchen, game room, multiple master bedrooms, lots more. You can select from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes by visiting our friends over at allstarvacationhomes.com. And when you are coming to Walt Disney World, if you want to stay right in the heart of the Disney parks, one of my favorite places to stay is over at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. You've heard me talk about the incredibly comfortable heavenly beds, the 17 world-class restaurants like Blue Zoo, Shula's, Il Molino, lots more. There's also the Mandara Spa, the wonderfully themed pool, and again, right in the heart of Disney. You can check them out over at swananddolphin.com. Real quick, don't forget that the Frontierland audio tour of Walt Disney World is now available for instant download, or you can pre-order the CD over at wdwradio.com. There you can get all the copies of my uh, walking tours of the Magic Kingdom. You can also get the uh, Frontierland and all the other tours in iTunes as well. And if you like the tour, please come by, rate, and review it in iTunes as well. We're also putting the finishing touches on issue 19 of Celebrations Magazine. For more information to subscribe or order back issues, visit CelebrationsPress.com. Also, be sure and stay tuned to Facebook and Twitter and DisneyMeets.com for more information about upcoming Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and other special events, including the D23 Expo coming up in just a few weeks. Super excited. We're going to have a bigger and better booth in the Collector's Forum than we did back in 2009. We're also going to have full coverage if you can't make it out there, including live video broadcasting and chat all day, every day from the Expo floor. Lots of surprises, special things in store for those who are attending the Expo and coming by the booth, as those as well as those of you who are following along in the box. You can visit www.radio.com slash D23Expo or D23Expo Live. Uh, there you can also find some videos from some of the fun we had back in 2009. Also be sure and stay tuned for updates as well. That is going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again so much for taking the time and tuning in. And as always, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share it on Facebook or Google+. And please come by, review the show, the WW Radio free iPhone app, or the brand new Walt Disney World Trivia iPhone app. You can get it over on iTunes. Come by, rate and review those in the iTunes store if you can. And as always, my friends, please take those first steps towards pursuing your passion because life is too short. And then once you do, always keep moving forward. I hope you guys have a great, inspired week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, this is Taylor calling from New York City. I've never actually called into the show before, but I had to today because 
I started listening to your show back around the end of 2008 after coming back from a trip to Walt Disney World, and I uh, was wondering if there was a podcast out there that could help me relive some of all the great moments at the park. But uh, since then, I've listened to all of your new shows every week as they're released, and um, also, whenever I get a chance, I've gone back and listened to all of the old shows uh, in reverse order. So... Finally today, after almost three years of doing that, I finished and got to back to your uh, six-minute show number one that I know you're so proud of, and I just wanted to say, all of them, great. And I just wanted to thank you for everything you've done and say I've loved all of the almost 300 hours, I think, of time that I've spent listening to your shows, and that equals about uh, two entire weeks, in case you're wondering. And uh, that's about it, so can't wait till next week's show, and keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Billy Lada calling from a touch of New Jersey. I'm currently at Walt Disney World right now. I'm standing outside the Crystal Palace, and I just finished my first meal there. And wow, was it worth it. It was amazing. I ate four full plates of food and two full plates of dessert, and I highly recommend it for anybody. I'm sure you've been there plenty of times, so I'm sure that you've enjoyed it. All right, I hope you're having a good day, Lou. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou, it's Josh. Uh, long time no see. Um, I still have been listening to your shows, but I just wanted to tell you that uh, I finally uh, have done it, and uh, my family and I are coming down to Disney World in August. I mean, I just, I, I'm trying to stay calm to sound good on the show, but i got to tell you how excited I am. I mean, this, this is going to be insane, but I get there on August the 5th, and uh, we're going to be staying there for, I think, five or six days, and then we're heading on down to Clearwater. So uh, just go ahead and call me. Uh, you should have my number now. So, uh, And uh, we can figure out uh, if you wanted to meet up or something. Maybe I can go to a meet of the month or probably already have that scheduled, but I can just meet up with you personally or something like that. So, Lou, I'm so glad this is finally happening and uh, love the show. You know that. Um, so I'll talk to you later. And remember, everybody, if we can dream it, we can do it. See you guys. Hey, Lou, Jen Tremley from Bristol, Connecticut. Just got finished uh, listening to this week's show, show 231, uh, the hidden treasure of Walt Disney World audio tidbits in the parks. Um, I was hoping you would do a show like this because I, too, am a a big fan of the sounds, um, not only the attraction theme songs or show theme songs, but also, excuse me, just the hidden um, sounds um, that we hear in the parks, you know, whether it's the Por Favor from the monorail to, you know, the the sounds that you mentioned on this week's show with Chuck Lyonberger. Um, I listen to you while I'm working, so I'm always having some sort of either your podcast going in the background or I listen to some of the other radio stations online that broadcast the Disney music from the parks. Um, even if it's just one of the, you know, tip for today commercials from the audio you know, loop that they run on your TV at your resort hotel. I just absolutely love listening to it. I have the CDs from the park. I, I must have wore a hole in it um, because I listened to it so many times. Um, I've listened to it so many times, I should say. Um, I just love the audio aspect in of the parks and as well as the visual and the, you know, the smells like of the park that you've done before. Um, but anyway, I just really liked all the little um, tidbits that you guys uh, mentioned. There were a couple of them that I wasn't um, very familiar with, but now I'm going to be on the lookout when I go back in September. Um, So um, that's it. Just want to say thanks for the great show, as always, and I look forward to listening to you every week, and I will talk to you soon. Have a great week. You've got a friend.